It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Joe Burrow's done something, according to PFF, that only one other guy has done since 2021. Let's get into that impressive PFF statistic. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus to discuss a few things. One, Brad wrote up some off-season grades. He was very fond of what the Bengals did. We'll get to that in a little bit. In addition to <clears throat> looking at some extensions, some possible extensions for some Cincinnati Bengals. We've been talking about that a little bit lately as well. But we're going to start, Brad, with these grade numbers this was a big conversation topic on twitter yesterday (laughs) before we get there if you're new to the show you can subscribe on youtube you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast you can become an everydayer make sure you don't miss an episode of the lockdown bengals podcast as we go through some guests in the off season and you can join that first listen club we appreciate all of you who make us your first listen every day and brad let's talk about it you tweeted on june 19th a tweet that has sparked conversation across the internet. Chiefs fans, Bills fans, Bengals fans, probably two and on, if I had to guess. Games with a 90-plus PFF grade since 2021. Josh Allen has nine. Joe Burrow has six. No other quarterback has three. And it kind of goes in line with Joe Burrow's overall grade which has led PFF over the last two years. But then there are all these other stats out there and all these other critics out there that would say this and that about Joe Burrow. And I don't think anyone's ranking Joe Burrow number one on their top quarterback rankings as much as that's valuable or invaluable or not valuable quarterback rankings at this time of year. But what does that say about how good Joe Burrow has been in the last two years? Yeah, you know, I think uh, our head of communications, uh, Dave Sofaro, thought, you know, Bengals fans and Chiefs fans don't argue enough about Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes on Twitter. So let's just kind of ramp that up a bit because you just never see it. So uh, I'm glad he kind of, you know, had that that foresight to get it out there. Now, all jokes aside, you know, I do think Burrow is a guy that maybe you want to see more week-to-week consistency with maybe limiting the negatives as opposed to making the big plays. But we've talked a lot, of course, about taking some sacks and letting – pressure convert into sacks does some of that fall onto joe burrow um i think obviously last year we kind of i think can write off the steelers game as more of just you know appendix surgery missing some off season and then just frankly was not ready for the first game but but yeah look i think he's a top three quarterback in the nfl i think it's the two guys you just mentioned and of course patrick mahomes 
I guess I'm not ready to put him at number one yet either. You know, I mean, he obviously himself has said that too, uh, which I think is is fair. Um, but he's definitely, uh, if, if he's not in your top five, in my opinion, I'm not sure you know exactly what you're watching. What steps does he need to take to potentially get to that? Let's say he's fifth on, on some of our listeners' rankings. Probably not many since this is locked on Bengals, but let's say he's fifth. What does he have to do to get to that next tier? Or say you said you have him in the top three. How does he cement himself ahead of Josh Allen or, or try to catch up with, with Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, you know, I do think there need to be some games where, like, you, you do see a little bit less of the heroics and and more of just the consistent. Not that he's always that type of player, the boomer bust type guy. He will take the the easy throw. He will check down here and there, maybe more consistently, or attack the intermediate parts of the field more consistently, and and, and have that be more of a focal point um, to to the degree where. People can't argue, oh, well, he, you know, he can throw it up to Jamar Chase or throw it up to T. Higgins and they can make plays. Obviously, you still want that in your offense, but just maybe attacking every part of the field. Um, but again, it's honestly grasping at straws and, and nitpicking his game. Uh, I think cerebrally he's at as high of a level as you can be, and that'll only get better with more experience, seeing more defenses, seeing more things against him. I mean, the division might be the best division in football this year. Uh, it's certainly in the conversation. So if you're doing it against the AFC North and the rest of your schedule, which probably will be you know, a bit of a nightmare no matter what in this conference, um, I think it's going to be hard to argue against him. But yeah, it's very small stuff. I think the biggest thing, honestly, um, is just staying upright and, and staying clean and just limiting some of those sacks and some of those negative plays. Yeah, and you, you talk about consistency. You just look at his season last year, his first half of the season versus the second half of the season plus the playoffs. And there is, in my opinion, what, what looks like a pretty big divide where you know he doesn't have a PFF grade under 70 for that second half of the season. And for the most part, he's he's much, much higher than that. The sack avoidance numbers completely changed about halfway through the season. And you know, the pressure to sack ratio goes from you know high 20% to low 20% high teens for the rest of the season. And it looks like he just decides. I'm not going to take sacks anymore. I'm going to become more consistent with checking the ball down on time. And if you watch him, which we obviously did very closely, the amount of times where Joe Burrow is getting the ball off on time is incredible, like really, really high level stuff. And so I'd like to see that continue as well. And and like you mentioned, the, the one part of the field where it seems like this offense could be a little bit more productive. And it's hard to say whether that's Joe Burrow, whether that's, a product of having Jamar Chase and T Higgins and the style of offense is over the middle of the field in the intermediate part of the field. You know, it seems like a lot of the quarterback evaluators out there love the backside dig because it's, it's such a difficult throw from a processing perspective. It requires arm strength, all these things. They love the elastic arm kind of throws. Those aren't as much a part of Burrow's game. And I wonder if they're knocking him because he doesn't do some of the things that their favorite quarterbacks do from a, an aesthetic perspective or a stylistic perspective. And if he added those to his game, then, you know, maybe that's another step, but it seems like to me, he, he figures things out as he goes. He doesn't get beat by the same things more than once. The Ravens defense, for example, will be a fun challenge this year to see how he adapts after they gave him a tough time last year. But I think he, we've seen him take a lot of those steps. 
No, I, I totally agree. I mean, the biggest stat I think you could look at is they've always shown up well on EPA per dropback, looking at just the production. But if you broke it down to success rate, his first couple of years, they were in the 20s, right? And that's just simply, you know, on every single snap, are they having a successful play or not? And if it's first and 10 and you go incomplete, incomplete 20 yards, obviously you don't really care. Um, but, you know, it'd be good to see seven yards, eight yards, 10, you know, you know so just you're, you're consistently moving the ball, and, and that dramatically changed. They were top five, I want to say, in success rate from, I think it was week eight through the end of the season last year. So just like you said, it was not only the explosives, but also the consistency. And yeah, the, the, the structure around him, both play calling and offensive line and all those things is a factor as well. It's not all on him. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you see him learn. That's the biggest thing you can do at quarterback, frankly, is you're going to make mistakes. The Ravens are going to throw stuff at you that you've probably never seen. But just know the next time you see it, okay, this is what they did last time. Maybe I know where I'm going pre-snap. I don't have to think too much. You know, you know things like that. Exciting to see his mental development and how that continues. It's always been something that, to me, has been pretty impressive in his NFL career. Coming up next, Brad, we can get away from the tweet. We'll let you breathe. We'll, we'll take some attention off the tweet. We'll talk about, you really like the Bengals' offseason. And I, I remember last year we were talking about offensive tackle pros, uh, uh, contracts that were signed. And this year you really like the one that the Bengals signed. We'll dive into your offseason evaluation for the Cincinnati Bengals coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. And look, the Reds, well, they've been really, really interesting over the past couple of weeks. From Matt McClain to Ellie De La Cruz. So maybe you want to wager on them. Maybe you want to get in on action all across Major League Baseball or look ahead to future NFL bets. You can do all of those things and so much more right now at FanDuel. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Brad, let's dive into your offseason grades a bit. And the Bengals, one of a, a few A's that you handed out. And one of the, the most surprising signings in franchise history, maybe the most surprising, leads the way with the Orlando Brown Jr. deal. J just full disclaimer, we gave – or we did our entire free agency show that day at like 10 at night and the signing comes down at like 10 30. So I don't think anyone here saw it coming. And the contract part of it that Jake mentioned, I think is a big reason why I think everyone expected him to get more that the Bengals wouldn't swim in those waters. And instead they get him for four years, $64 million. I assume that's a, a huge part of why you gave them an A for their off season. 
Yeah, it's by far the biggest variable there. I mean, to address a need with a multi-year contract, I'd value that. Look, he's not Larry Tunsil, but you're basically making $10 million less per year now than the highest paid left tackle. Um, you know, the cash flows are all consistent. Yes, he got the big roster bonus or signing bonus, whatever he kind of put out as the rationale for why he liked the deal. It's 50 years over three and 64 over four. Like, it's a pretty standard, pretty pretty flat rate deal. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you just solidify a position for the next couple of years. I think he's an above average to good player that should be making more than that on the open market. You know, I get the narrative. It should be a right tackle. And is he elite? Maybe he thinks he is, but he's not quite elite. He's a very good left tackle, right? Those guys are not really available all that often. So that was the biggest one. But I also think – you know, not chasing. You knew you were going to lose some talented players. Both starting safeties, you'd probably love to have back, but you knew you weren't going to be able to bring them back unless you're going to spend a lot of money. I like how they navigated that situation. I was kind of surprised Jermaine Pratt came back, but at that pr- price point, I understand it. So I think they, they were just patient. They didn't really chase anything. They let it come to them. And, and Orlando Brown, I think, signifies that better than anything else. Um, but it just it just tended to work in most decisions they made. And that's been their approach, it seems, for the last few years. They've let things come to them a little bit. They've got some same old Bengals in them in some ways in terms of the way they do business, in terms of the contract structure, in terms of kind of having a price point in mind and and not moving off of it significantly, at least from what we've heard about contracts they've offered and, and kind of the way we've seen some contract situations play out. There's a couple things that we can talk about there. One of them is Orlando Brown, and we can talk about linebackers as well because Jermaine Pratt was a surprise to I think most if not all that cover the Bengals or or were looking at free agency and kind of trying to predict where people would go but that partially predicated I think by Von Bell's departure which was also somewhat surprising given that it was very easy to predict that that Jesse Bates was going to go but Orlando Brown on his third team on his second contract Relatively rare to to see a player like that be near the top of his free agency class. A lot of times when you see players bounce around like this, people start to wonder, well, there must be a reason. And obviously we know in Baltimore it was because he didn't want to play right tackle. He turned down a huge deal from Kansas City that, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe he wishes he would have taken from a financial perspective. But... How big of a difference is it for Orlando Brown that he's blocking now for the style of quarterback that is Joe Burrow versus the style of quarterback that is Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes from a play extension perspective, from a time to throw perspective? Is that something that might amplify or or work well with his game? I do think so. Yeah, I think when you look at true pass sets, which, you know, not to go fully into the weeds, but it's basically, you know, between two and a half and four seconds. So you don't get those super extended plays. You also, you know, remove screen passes and stuff like that that just aren't really indicative. Um, he shows up a little bit better, you know, in his pass protection metrics than when you look at the full scope of things. Um, and, and yeah, we talked about it. Burrow has brought his average time to throw down. He still, of course, is going to extend plays and make things happen downfield when he needs to. But I think this structure does suit Orlando Brown pretty well. If if I had to pick between the three quarterbacks, you know, that he's now played in front of, I would imagine his game meshes the best with the Burrow. It's kind of a more rhythm and timing offense uh, that is trending more and more in that direction as time goes on. Are any of the other offseason moves or of the other offseason moves, what stood out the most? Is it the Jermaine Pratt re-signing? Is it it some of their under-the-radar moves? What, What else stands out besides Orlando Brown? 
Yeah, you know, I think the big thing that they've been able to do, if you look at the, both the, the free agency and the draft, is that, you know, not only do they have talent at starting spots, like I also like bringing in a Nick Scott. I think he's a versatile, good player. Obviously, he is not right now in the caliber of a Jesse Bates or a Von Bell, but I think he's going to be a good player and a good value on his deal. Um, and, but then the ability to, because the way you've drafted and signed the last couple of years, like I, I love the Miles Murphy pick. I love the Jordan Battle pick. And neither guy needs to start right away necessarily, right? Like you're bringing guys in that are talented, good football players that could maybe have large roles right away. But because you've been strong in your approach and, again, haven't chased some big deals, it's enabled you now to have quality depth at pretty much every position on the roster, um, which, again, like getting good starters is the first part of the battle. We all know that. But then also having good players behind them is really that next step you have to take if you want to make it through, you know, a 17-game schedule and the playoffs and all these things. And I think they're more, they're better positioned in that regard than they've been as far as I can remember, frankly. And we've seen depth come up and bite them for the last couple of years in their playoff runs, mostly on the offensive line. And they have more offensive linemen under contract at this point, you know, going through their offseason competing for roster spots than they have in the last few years before we talk about some of the contracts and Jermaine Pratt will come back up. I think here, when we talk about Logan Wilson, eventually uh, anything that you would like to see the Bengals do in the remainder of the off season that might get this from, you know, a solid 95 a or 94 a or whatever your grading scale is bumped up closer to that a plus range. Yeah. So I do think at this point, it seems like Jonah Williams recognizes he should just, get ready to play right tackle, settle in, play there at Alabama, has the experience. And frankly, the markets, like, it's not even a strong argument anymore. Back in the day, I would have no issue whatsoever with the tackle being like, I refuse to move. And obviously, it's kind of ironic that Orlando Brown is here mm-hmm. for the same reason. But the markets are basically the same. Like, you got Lane Johnson at around $20.5 million, And I mentioned Laramie Tunsil at twenty five. So anyway, let's say Jonah's there. He's fine with it. He's comfortable. I think I'd rather start him than Lyle Collins that I'm not sure when he'll be fully healthy. Seems like he's out of schedule, but the injury I read about him sounded pretty gnarly. Um, and mm-hmm. obviously he has a bit of an extended history there. So long answer short, maybe even still looking at a George Fant or like one more kind of swing piece, a guy that you could bring in for one year, two and a half million dollars. You know, I know we talk about offensive line probably too much, but just just really like nail that down so you have no concern um, if injuries pile up or if guys are unhappy or anything like that. Are you surprised they didn't do anything with Mixon's contract? That was something we talked about a ton here, and I guess they still could. But are you surprised that he's still at that number currently? I am very surprised, especially because you could just point to now if you're them, say, look, Dalvin got cut, Zeke got cut, Aaron Jones took a pay cut, like all you know the, the franchise, like. You can, you're not even just saying it for yourself or just making an argument, oh, we need the help. It's like, no, like everyone's doing it. We're also going to do it, um, you know, not even getting into the, the legal stuff and everything else going on there. So, yeah, yeah I am kind of surprised um, that he is still – I mean, look, maybe they lost leverage because they did not – you know, they don't have an Alexander Madison or a Tony Pollard in place, right? I mean, you do add Chase Brown in the fifth round. You have some guys there, but, you know, you lose Samaji P. Ryan. Like, you do maybe just say, hey, you know what? We can't play hardball because he might say, all right, well, then I'm out. And then we kind of feel like we are deficient at that position. Let's continue with some potential contract extensions from another Joe to T. Higgins and more. We'll do that with Brad coming up next.
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's talk extensions. We've been talking about this. We've talked about the Peyton Manning and his receivers in Indianapolis where that's happened before, and we've talked with Brad about this before too it looks like the Bengals are waiting to get the Joe Burrow deal done before they make any other extension moves this year uh, there's been a lot of speculation about what a team-friendly deal might look like for Joe Burrow with his comments about having awareness of the other guys on this team that he would like to have playing with him on the Bengals as long as possible but we still expect that Joe Burrow's contract will set the market at quarterback in one way or another so nobody's under the illusion that Joe Burrow is going to take a $40 million per year deal or is going to take a $45 million per year deal, even though that's a ton of money, obviously. And, and any of us listening to this podcast, any of you listening to this podcast would probably take that deal. Joe Burrow is probably going to get a little bit more, but what can he do, Brad? Or, or what do you think is a reasonable expectation knowing how the Bengals structure contracts and, and what little insight we have into this process from Burrow's perspective that might be quote unquote team friendly while still hitting that market setting value. Yeah. I think the biggest thing he could do, or maybe him and his camp would be willing to do would be to go to five years. Look, I'm sure they're trying to push for a four year deal. Um, it's all super complicated with the, with the representation for him and Herbert. And it's a bunch of different people, but nevertheless, there are some people that also were involved with Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, Guys that have pushed back towards the four-year extension, which was kind of the norm. And then, of course, once, you know, like I just talked about Joe Mixon, once you have Patrick Mahomes sign a 10-year extension, every other team in the league can say, hey, Josh Allen, why would you not take at least six years? You know, this guy took 10, and he's the greatest, you know, quarterback maybe of all time, right? So you've then seen this pushback to the shorter deals, and, and I'm sure his camp wants to go as short as possible especially because he's a little bit of an older guy and get back to market as quickly as he possibly can. So I think the number one way he can help is say, all right, I'll take a five-year extension, which would mean he's under contract for seven more seasons. Um, and would just give them a ton of flexibility, both from a cash flow standpoint and how they structure it. And of course, you know, salary cap maneuvering as well. But yeah, I would be surprised if the, the average per year number is not the largest ever, at least at the time he signs it, um, I, I just, I just would be surprised if that's not the case. Is there any reason or, or path realistically where you could see it like that percentage of the cap where he just gets a certain percentage year to year? I know that's been floated out there by some, do you think that's realistic or no? No, I'm not really sure why Florio, he loves bringing that Specifically one up. I mean, him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a cool idea. It's a cool concept. I do believe there was a report that Russell Wilson's camp asked for it. I think the first time with Seattle, of all the teams to like, with him saying, "Oh, I'm, I'd be most expected from Joe Burrow." Like, yeah, the Bengals are the team that are going to do that. Like, yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. So, uh, short answer, no. Long answer, I get why he's kind of obsessed with the idea, uh, but no, I, I don't think it happens this offseason. So, you're saying the Bengals are not going to give Joe Burrow a five percent stake in their organization as part of the extension? 
Maybe they should work out an equity deal. I just don't know about tying the cash yearly to the salary cap. But <laughs> yeah, the, the Paycor Paycor Joe Burrow Stadium uh, has a has a nice ring to it. That's right. Uh, another thing that's a, a common point of discussion, going back to those Twitter arguments that, that you mentioned at the top of the show, is is keeping Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Joe Burrow together. Uh, people will will continue to. What do they say now? Like. 50-50 ball to T. Higgins merchant or something. That, that whole merchant thing as a, as a derogatory thing. Anyway, the Bengals would like to keep You're on the internet together. too much. I don't even know what you're talking about. a lot of you. <laughs> you know, you, you try to keep up. We, have to, we oh, have to know. We have to know what the kids are saying. Anyway, they would like <laughs> to keep the trio together. And there are a couple of examples of this in history. And I think the timing of these contracts, something that we've talked about, right? Jamar Chase, not up for a new deal for a couple of years here. T Higgins, obviously extension eligible now, but a lot of team control options in terms of the fifth year option for, uh, for Jamar Chase and franchise tag options for both of those players available to the Bengals. Obviously they prefer extensions, but it's realistic, right? To, to think that they can keep this group together. Obviously, it might be expensive. It might be a lot of money. But with the salary cap continuing to expand and, and the planning they've done on the defensive side of the ball that you talked about, would you say that seems to be their plan, that, that it's a realistic direction for them? Certainly possible. It's certainly doable. Um, and, and I'm sure in an ideal world, they find a way to get it done. I've just always kind of pushed back this offseason on the ease with which Bengals fans seem to think it can happen. Like, I don't think it's an easy thing to pull off. I think you're talking over $100 million a year for three players. I think a lot of the conversation has been like, yeah, they can make the cap work. The cap is borderline irrelevant in the conversation. It's simply that they want to pay that much cash each season to three players on the roster. And do they think they can then spend to have a good defense? I mean, look. We'll get into it. But like Trey Henderson wants new money. DJ Reader needs new money. Like yada, 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 yada. So I think they can pull it off. And I do think you hit a good point there where, look, Jamar Chase is going to play four seasons, I think, before they have realistic extension conversations. Like even Justin Jefferson, I don't think he gets an extension done this offseason. I'm sure they try, but I kind of don't see it happening, which means you do have a decent window where I would actually be proactive with T and say, hey, take a three-year extension just like everybody else last offseason, you know, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, et cetera. And by the time we're in the latter years of that deal, then Jamar's cash could kick in, um, and then it actually makes a ton of sense. But I kind of get the impression they're playing some hardball with T as well, and and maybe they do think, like you said, the franchise tag is at their disposal there, uh, and they're not afraid to use it. If you're T Higgins' agent, David Mulligetta, what would you be looking for? Is three years enough? Would you want more? He's 24 years old. So if you did a three-year extension, you'd hit the market well before 30 again. Is that the route you would go, or would you be looking for four years? Yeah, no, I go short. You, you know, all the guys pushing short last year um, was by design because they want to get back to the market when they're still young, right? I mean, the, the earlier you can get back at 27, I think teams are still going to give you top of market. When you're, you look at DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, 29, 30 yeah. range is when, you know, some teams start to get a little bit scared. So, yeah, I would point to those guys last offseason and try to do the exact same thing. And I'm sure that's also a battle. And the Bengals are saying, no, we want four years or we want five years. And basically at that point, it argue, it could be the only contract he ever signs, you know, of significant value. So, yeah, if I'm him, I'm saying I want three years, 75, whatever it is, uh, you know, maybe less than that. But um, and, and go from there. And I do think that's probably uh, been a battle of a back and forth, if I had to imagine. 
Do you yeah, think 365 gets it done? Or is that too short? I'm just... Yeah, no, I think it's like right in the floor range, right? So it's just below 22 a year. Like, I would say it's probably around the floor or it, it would have to be extremely strong first two-year cash flow, like 45 mil or 50 mil over two. And then you're going into that last year with the understanding that you're probably going to extend him and he's not actually going to play that last year for 15 million in cash or whatever the case may be, which is kind of, you know, how Cincinnati does things with their big signing bonuses. But I would guess that's like pretty close to the floor. It will be interesting. And and the way things are going, interesting as well, it makes all the sense in the world for these players to be getting short deals to get back to market. And the Bengals are a great example of a team that when you get to that 29, 30, it, it gets to be territory that they're not very comfortable or, or they're going to really stick to a number. And if they don't get the number they want, they're going to go younger. And that is going to be interesting on this defense where they've extended Jermaine Pratt. And so you ask any Bengals fan in February this year, which Bengals linebacker was likely to have more than one year left on their deal going into this season. It wasn't Jermaine Pratt. It was Logan Wilson, who I think many Bengals fans thought would be a priority for the Bengals to extend this year. Now the question is, this team that seems to understand positional value, for the most part, if you look at their recent draft history and where they're making their investments, are they going to invest in two linebackers? Are they going to invest in an extension for an unfortunately aging and I, I love dj reader but the reality is is that the nfl and the Bengals are going to see him as an aging nose tackle where the cliff for that position is not a cliff that you can see coming it's it's a cliff in the fog and eventually these players at those positions seem to hit that cliff chidobe abuzier a little bit older at corner but still seems to be moving fantastically as he recovers from his acl procedure and trey hendrickson uh he has he has two more years left on his deal he, he's a free agent in 2020 after 2024 uh, but how, how that works out in terms of increasing cash obligations on defense, very interesting. If you're looking at this externally, what do you think the, the most efficient way is for the Bengals to try to navigate what's going on on their defense? Yeah, man, just I had a thought I had to really quickly throw in there the, about the T. Higgins thing too, is that tagging A.J. Green was the right decision mm-hmm. in the moment for A.J. Green, but if you're these players now, you're saying like that threat is out there and I'm not going to have that happen to me. So anyway, back yeah. to defense. Good call. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, reader's super tough, right? Because you're also in the middle of an, a market explosion right now that honestly rivals wide receiver last year. I mean, it's a bit underwhelming. I thought it'd be more, but nevertheless, like 10 dudes have been paid pretty massive deals at that position. If I'm them, I think the Dalvin Tomlinson deal is basically the easiest kind of benchmark I've ever seen. Four years, 57, 14.25 per year. They're the same age. They're similar players. You know, you want them at one tech. They can play some three tech and, and get a field a little bit here and there, but it's not exactly their bread and butter. Um, Dalvin's been healthier, but I think Reader has made a bigger impact when he has played. Um, obviously, has missed a little bit more time. But, yeah, I think it's right in that range. It seems like they've been trying to find other answers there so they don't have to do this deal, um, but kind of haven't really been successful in that endeavor thus far. Um, and, I, you know, look, the defense, I mean, they won a bunch of games when he was out, if I remember correctly, last year. But he also, when he came back, I think made like a noticeably tangible difference oh, yeah. um, and, and things they did on early downs in particular. So I would try to get it done, but it is tough to where – you know, you're you're buying in a in in a buyer's market, or you're buying in a you know in a, in a player's market right now because everyone's getting paid uh, at that position. Real quick, I know you said 
just going back to wide receiver that you don't necessarily anticipate Justin Jefferson getting done this offseason. Is it safe to say that whatever that deal is just kind of sets the the floor for Jamar Chase and what he's going to to demand? As long as he doesn't miss significant time, yes. Uh, and I think Jefferson probably will get – I know Tyreek Hill is listed at $30 million per year. He's on a three-year $75 million contract, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, I think Jefferson gets a legitimate – maybe the deal starts with a three and it's an actual – you know, that, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's that he's that productive and that, and that caliber. And then, yeah, I mean, if Jamar has another, you know, 1,200-plus, you know, in, impactful in every different way a season – He's going to say, yeah, I'm a top five pick. I'm, I've been, you know, better than this guy. We're on the same team when I was younger than him. Uh, it, you know, all these things. Yeah, he would say I'll take him plus 5% uh, would, would probably be the argument. Do we need to start looking at some of these contracts with with a lens toward inflation and and kind of percentage <laughs> of sell? I mean, seriously, though, when we're when we're looking at these these huge deals, shouldn't we be comparing them to what the unadjusted cap is every year to say, you know, it, how, how does – Justin Jefferson's deal, which probably blows it away compared to, say, a Randy Moss deal back in the day or, or name a player who was a top play, top paid player their position when the salary cap was $100 million less. Oh, yes. Go on overthecap.com, click on history, and if you go to contract history, you can look at every position, and, and there's a tab you can sort by percent of the cap at signing. So exactly what we just talked about. So it's inflation-adjusted APYs. Um, yeah, Randy Moss is funny. Like Deion Sanders' numbers are hilarious. I want to <laughs> say uh, there's a couple where like the, no one will ever surpass them because you know if you look at the salary cap in the year they signed and the percent they were taking up, it's just astronomical. Um, but yeah, no, exactly. And that is, you know, that is how conversations are had. And we talked about the whole percent of cap thing for Joe Burrow. Like agents will say, hey, look, like you know, I want my guy to get 25. And I'll say, yeah, we think he's worse than this guy who's getting 25. And you'll say. Yeah, but that guy signed for twenty five two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that 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 is a thing that that exists in the you know the contract negotiation ecosystem. Well, Brad, we appreciate the time today. You can find him at pff underscore Brad on Twitter. You can find his work over at pff.com. Does great work in terms of projecting free agency deals every year. It's, it's always shocking how close you get on some of those contracts, and and he's always a great resource for cap related questions and. Did great work on the off-season grades as well. So we appreciate your time, Brad. Thanks for the insights today. And, well, if you're at the end of this episode still with us, make sure you're here for our next episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hoping to have a nice surprise guest for you here in the off-season coming soon. Or it might be a mailbag, and maybe the guest will be next week. So keep your eyes out for what we're doing next here on Lockdown Bengals. And until next time, day and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.